Welcome to the Unscripted Podcast, where we chat with some of our friends, former guests, and industry pals. I'm your host, Kevin Fukunaga. Today, we've got one of my favorite guests, the TV writer and producer who's been on the show, I don't know, six times, seven times, maybe? (laughs) But each time, we've had a blast, so hopefully you do, too. Um, He was most recently the co-EP of NBC's Undateable, and now he's on the new CBS comedy, The Great Indoors, starring Joel McHale and Stephen Fry. I don't know what he does on the show. I'm sure he's some sort of big wig producer, writer. <laughs> awesome. But we'll get into that. Uh, Mr. Craig Doyle. Hey, Craig, man. What's up? Hey, buddy. Kevin, what's up, dude? How are you, buddy? I'm doing so great. Good. We haven't glad. talked in a while. This is It's nice to kind of catch up. Yeah. I, uh, hopefully, I have, inf- I have uh, in- interesting stuff that uh, for people and stuff uh, for, you know, after. I'm a little addled, you can tell. I'm a little sleep addled. <laughs> <laughs> a little crazy of a summer. But uh, but yeah, man, it's it's good to talk to you again, man. Well, because you just uh, started production fairly recently, right? Yes, yes, yeah. So I so so I was on Undateable for the last. We did three seasons of Undateable, and mm-hmm. then well, two seasons taped, and then one season uh, live, the Undateable live season at NBC, and then that didn't come back. So uh, I hopped over to a show. At C- it's a, a new show that's coming up at CBS called The Great Indoors with uh, that you said in the intro. It's Joel McHale. Uh, Stephen Fry, Chris Mintz-Plass, um, Susanna Fielding. It's like really, really great, fun cast, and and it's uh, going from like I think I mentioned to you, NBC, where where they were kind of in a in a comedy, a little bit in a comedy downturn, like as far as things that were working to right. uh, to CBS, where it's kind of like you know a land of milk and honey, where everything seems to work. So it's been really cool adjustment and and really cool, um, you know, just switching kind of big companies in a certain way. Uh, more things, you know, a lot of new things that are that I've never experienced before. But then a lot of stuff that's that's just like the classic, classic sitcom putting it together. Where, um, yeah, so I've been doing that. We we did uh, we had a good pre-production and we just did taped our first episode last Wednesday. The um, God, what day is it? I can't even tell. It's today's Sunday, right? Yeah, today is Sunday. <laughs> the seventeenth. Yes, Wednesday, the August seventeenth. It was our first tape night of uh, of the Great Indoors. So. Um, yeah, it's very cool. So we're doing, uh, we're doing, um, uh, 13 of them. It's a fall show that, that premieres August or sorry, uh, October 27th, uh, oh. after Big Bang Theory, which is oh, great. Wow. So uh, we got probably the sweetest, uh, yeah. lead in time slot on, on, uh, television right now. So it's, I think people are going to get a chance to see the show yeah. and you got someone like Joel McHale, who's, you know, a comedy vet and a TV sitcom vet with a lot of like comedy credibility and then you sure. add uh, these really fun actors around him and then you know then top it off with Stephen Fry who's just an absolute He's unbelievable comedy treasure and and it's just a wonderful man so it's just there's it it seems to be really working so um it's been it's been really really fun man No that's great and where do you guys shoot uh, we are at CBS Radford okay. um, and Studio City, so we um, we uh, yeah we started we're on the old Roseanne stage, which is always cool to kind of walk past this big plaque that says Roseanne and going yeah yeah we're probably not going to be making Roseanne, but <laughs> <laughs> we make it we'll make something that has some dick jokes in it, but yeah I don't know if we'll, <laughs> you know hopefully you know but uh, but yeah so it's we're we're over there at, at at Radford, which is really you know it's nice it's like a so much like kind of history and culture and and uh really really fun crew and it's just been it's been a really nice transition going from undateable with great people and everything over to this so um but it's been uh you know going from doing a live live sitcom episodes to doing a tape night again has been uh a big adjustment in kind of the way you kind of attack problems you know when you have no when you're live you're like okay we have two minutes before we come back from commercial we got to figure out a thing whatever that works go to (laughs) To you know, hey, we can think about this a little bit, and and you know, um, you know, Joel's got his opinions, and Stephen Stephen knows you've got to take their insight because they're so smart and funny, and so it's been uh, it's been a lot of fun. And do you guys tape in front of a live studio audience? Yes, oh. yes, we're doing a live studio audience. So I have to you guys got to come out again and for this one, and um, it's a smaller audience, but oh. uh, you wouldn't have told that you wouldn't have been able to tell that by Wednesday's. Uh, show we had they were really loud and ruckus we're like oh yeah. it's great yeah. and uh but yeah so we're in front of a live audience and um uh yeah it's it's a, it's a workplace multi-camera and it's the uh where i'm a i'm a, one of the co-eps on it it's created by mike gibbons who's a uh veteran he's a veteran like late night and variety producer he's done the oscars and all this other stuff 
um, you know, he, he was currently he was the head writer for James Corden, and um, he did Kilborn's show and and David Spade's show and Zach Galifianakis' show. He's just like he's a guy I've known outside of the uh, through friends before I was like colleagues with him because we kind of were in different comedy circles as far as you know late night and, and scripted is sure. can be uh, pretty different circles. But Mike a couple of years ago started making a transition over to doing sitcoms, and he made one that um, uh, last year they shot and it didn't go, but then it was the same team uh, that he he crewed with and and they got it on the air uh, with uh, so it's he's the creator and executive producer with Chris Harris, who's another he was on How I Met Your Mother from the beginning and just an old vet. Um, I'd say old, even though he's, you know, early forties, <laughs> but he's, but he, you would, couldn't tell by the, he's just the best. So it's just been a really, those guys are kind of running it. And, um, uh, the rest of us got a big staff and we're, we're kind of having a great time. So, um, yeah, the premise of the show is that, uh, Joel McHale plays like a John Krakauer type, uh, outdoor reporter, kind of like a guy that had done into thin air and mm-hmm. things like that and into the wild type stuff. Uh, who is coming back in from doing stories and and you know adventure stories in Patagonia and and Am- the Amazon and cave dive type stories, coming back to find out that his print magazine has changed into a digital frontier and he's now his new position if he wants to hang out is to be in charge of a group of millennials, uh, millennial kind of uh, content makers. So it's like someone that went from it's imagine if National Geographic started turning into BuzzFeed. And so Joel has this kind of old school type, you know, sensibility. Uh, and he's coming back and now trying to keep that ethic and that standard up in the changing times with also not just the content, but also the way you deal with employees and, and kind of leaning into the the fun, some of the millennial stereotypes and things like that. So it's uh, Christmas Plath, uh, Sean Brown and Christine Coe are the kind of, the representatives of the millennial group that he does. So it's a little bit of millennials versus the Gen X in a way. And Stephen Fry is kind of the, he was the original founder of the magazine and he's, you know, he's an old Brit explorer kind of in the Edmund Hillary style. And he's, you know, a Scotch thriller and just can't kind of figure out this transition either. So, and uh, so it's really fun. It's just, uh, it's, it, you know, it's kind of a, it reminds you to just shoot me, and a little oh, wow. bit of news radio where, you know, um, Stephen will come in kind of like Stephen Root did, right. where he would kind of swing in and mess with Dave Foley. This is very similar in that he'll, uh, Stephen Fry will come in and be with Joel McHale, and they will, you know, he'll kind of, the two of them will kind of commiserate and then have to try to figure out how they're going to figure this out. And, um, but it's been really fun. The stories of, the stories I'm really happy with, like that we've done. Sometimes, you know, when you're in pre-production, you break stories. You go, yeah, that one's fun. But you don't think it's going to be like, ah, but I don't feel like that's the case. I feel like we're doing really good stuff, which is a testament to Mike and Chris kind of like uh, kind of leading us in the right direction. And um, But, you know, it, so far so good. It's been really fun. So we'll hopefully, um, you know, we'll we'll do our, our 13 here and, and then maybe finish the season out and do an, get some good news in the late fall and make some more. So, uh, that's kind of, that's kind of the, the thumbnail of it all, but it's, uh, it's been unbelievable with the, uh, the people that I'm working with. It's just so much fun. Well, you mentioned it just in, in what you were talking about, a few of my favorite things. John Krakauer, I think is just a fantastic writer. I, I've oh, read yeah. Thin Air into the wild and just uh-huh. great. And of course, in terms of comedies, news radio is one of my favorite of all time. With oh, yeah. Foley so great. And Steve Root and obviously, yes. um, you know, uh, uh, the great Phil Hartman. Oh, yeah. So, uh, Absolutely. Those show. guys. And that, that's there's it's weird because it's like if you look around the kind of multi-camera sitcom mm-hmm. landscape, it's like there's not really a classic uh, workplace comedy on i mean like the office was there and 30 rock was kind of in its own way but those were single camera shows sure you don't have that kind of bullpen you know whether it's you know mary tyler moore or one of those kind of shows where you feel like it's it's a workplace comedy and you're dealing with silly kind of you know uh ridiculous office stuff there's just so it's kind of fun that we get to kind of exercise that uh muscle a little bit and mm-hmm. it's and you know we got the twist of the millennials and stuff whether it's you know, a receptionist who has a, you know, emotional support dog and a, right. to, to, you know, two guys who think that, you know, journalism now is a BuzzFeed clickbait list. And right. Joel being a guy who's, you know, used to writing 40 page 
stories for a magazine now having to figure out how to do it in 140 characters, you know, right. it's like, Oh, so there's a lot of like culture clash and stuff. So you can kind of, you can kind of kiss a little bit of that, you know, modern office place stuff, but you don't live in it so much that you're, you're just making printer paper jokes. You're right. just kind of like, you know, but it's, uh, it's, it's, you know, those bullpen shows that like Barney Miller or, you know, like I said, news radio or just shoot me. It's like, those are, um, it, it's a weird that there's a bit of vacuum of that on TV. It's surprisingly, there hasn't been a, like a classic office show. I mean, you say big bang a little bit, but it's more of an apartment show sure. with those guys, oh, yeah, but yeah. it's nothing where you're like prim- primarily living in like the office itself. So, um, it's fun to kind of do that. So, um, uh, we'll see, uh, uh, we'll see how it all, you know, so far it's been coming together really, really well. And it's so timely. I mean, I don't know if you watch uh, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. But, oh, yeah, it's the best. Uh, yeah, a couple weeks ago he did something on journalism and how it sort of changed from, you know, newspaper and print journalism to, again, Boston being that Post. sort of BuzzFeed, clickbait kind of uh, faux news, sort of uh, faux entertainment, you know, this combination yes. style uh, journalism now. And, uh, yeah, and that's a thing we're trying to, you know, we're still a multi-camera sitcom, so you're trying to kind of take the, the, the most surface version of those kind of, those phenomena and then kind of playing with it. But, you know, at the, at the end of the thing, it's, it's, you can't make a super big commentary on it. Oh, but sure, sometimes sure. if you, if you can get a little bit of it, it's great. So we've been trying to do that a little bit. And, and, and you know, I think John Oliver's show is the best on TV yeah. right now. Like, I mean, if you watch that every week, you're so much better and you just feel great about yourself <laughs> watching right. something like so smart. It's like watching 60 minutes and you're so, it's so great. But, but yeah, that, so we're trying to get into those things of as far as like, Hey, maybe, maybe dig a little deeper, maybe, you know, instead of this, let's not settle for this. Let's try to do that. So we've been very conscientious about, trying to put that message in, you know, sitcoms always, especially on a new right. one, you're kind of retelling the pilot over and over again and restating the premise. We're trying to say that, hey, there's, we don't have to go in that direction that John Oliver was criticizing. We don't have to go, oh. we don't have to be that way. It's like, this is an environmental, you know, there's environmental, especially with outside versus inside. It's like the idea that it took Pokemon Go to get people to go for walks is right? ridiculous. So, you know, here it's like, there's something out there to be said about um, getting that, making a commentary on those kind of things within the context of a bunch of weird people being thrown together in the same room. So, right. but you're, but you're right on. That's absolutely the stuff we are targeting, and that's where like we'll start in the writers' room. We'll kind of say, hey, dude, you see this whole thing about how there's these listicles that are based on this, or there was sponsored things that are kind of put across and you find out that they're by Citibank and they're not really <laughs> sponsored by thing. You're like, what? So that kind of fun is like those end up being kind of where a lot of times in the writer's room when you're blue skying and kind of talking about general things and those, those are the places where we start. And then we kind of drill down and say, what would be the funniest? You kind of just kind of, you start to kind of wrangle it into a story that could fit in 20 minutes. So you're, you know, you, you could do it, but um, it's uh, it's really fun having, a show that has that kind of a sandbox to be able to uh, to grab those themes from and that stuff. So it's it's uh, and Mike Gibbons himself is very like, you know, he comes from late night where you're you know you make fun of that stuff. You sure. know, it's the idea of of James Corden or Jimmy Fallon or uh, Jimmy Kimmel grabbing onto like look what they you know look what they think is news now. It's like that the idea is our late night hosts have been those guys who traditionally have been the ones that poke fun at those things. So he brings that sensibility to us, and so we're trying to implement that into kind of narrative sitcom, which is is challenging, but at the same time, like when we feel like we got close to doing some kind of service to it, it's pretty exciting. Right. And when I mentioned it, it was only to say that it was topical and timely, not to actually dive into specific issues or anything like that, although that's great that you you can incorporate some of that stuff. Uh, but yeah, just to touch base on how topical it is. Oh yeah, it you know. really. I think that I think that Mike kind of was. It was one of those things. Sometimes as a creator, you're so far out from when the show actually is timeline wise. Yeah. This was something that was in his in his head um, before, you know, and it has been timely for a while. But it's been in his head for a while, and it feels like as we started making the show, more and more of it has come out, which has been like kind of a you know kind of a a testament to Mike's kind of like this was he had the foresight to see that this was something that was going to get bigger and bigger as a thing. And so I totally agree with you. Um, yeah. It's uh, we've been very lucky that way to be able to have that uh, that becoming like 
every day it's like our google feeds and all our stuff it's like oh another story about this right another one you're like oh geez especially in this i think it's this election cycle with there's so much um it could be to the idea that you know that media is being criticized so specifically that um you know journalists are kind of turning inward and figuring that stuff out so i'm sure that that stuff kind of comes from a little bit of like you know that's a hot button thing and then you know it's been going on and um it's 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 of the moment right now with um with uh politics being that that being a forefront of the politics but uh uh it's really fun to kind of futz around with and and find things uh in it it's really cool yeah and you for tv and film you kind of have to be ahead of that curve though and just sort of be ride that wave in otherwise you're sort of coming up with oh let's do something about wizard vampires now at this stage you know and it's like yeah that was popular five years ago um, right yeah so I would that's say, great I that you guys are at that head of that wave yeah i mean i don't know if that was super conscientious or just kind of dumb luck or a little of both but oh, yeah. um you know it would definitely definitely i didn't have that insight it was nice that uh, to kind of come in and work with some <laughs> people that had it so it was really cool <laughs> so, um, well you were um, lost in the madness that was doing live television um, yeah that was wild so yeah, Datable was crazy because we had to, well, that's the thing also, and that's the thing I've had to make an adjustment to. It's like, on Datable, we would, you know, we'd read, the table read would be Monday, and we'd shoot it Friday night, so it was, like, really fast. And on Fridays, a lot of times, whatever happened during that week, just because, just to justify that it was a live episode, you know, um, one of the things we when we started that show was to say, all right, why does this have to be live? Like, other than you know, I think I had said with you on here before, like there was live sitcoms before, like not so much, but like they would do live episodes, but rock with Charles Dutton was a live sitcom and they, you know, it's live, anything can happen. It's like, it was so scripted and so rehearsed, nothing crazy happened. You're like, well, why don't we just, you know, why is it live? Like, what's that? That it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't give you any new, uh, it doesn't give you any new kind of thing. It's just like, Oh, okay there's no net. Well, they didn't need one because they're so well rehearsed. So mm-hmm. show was good, but it was like, you know, they didn't, I don't know if that was the best version of live TV. So what we always did, Bill Lawrence and Adam Stieke were so conscientious of is making sure that we kind of implemented things that happened that week, whether, you know, like Kanye West makes a comment or something happened in the news. We would try to reference it and and make sure that it was on the Friday show. So if people were watching and were appreciating it live, they go, oh, wow, it felt like, like John Oliver or a late night thing. So we right. were very conscientious of that. Problem now is like with the, with a tape show that, you know, we're taping them here in August and they don't go for another few months is, you know, you make a Pokemon Go joke, which is currently <laughs> now like a thing. It does. It might not age well. It right. might be sublime by then, but you're like, oh, it's really funny. We made Pokemon Go and that's really hilarious. And then you're going to go, hey, by the time we get there in October, that's going to be the crustiest joke in the world. And you're <laughs> right. like, oh, we got to make sure that that's the thing. So kind of going from 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 uh undateable where we were like what's what is happening literally right now right. let's get it on screen to hey let's let's uh let's you know let's slow our roll is that going to age well is that going to be something we we feel is the uh you know let's see should we try to maybe not do a reference joke right so um yeah so that's been that was that's one big big thing is just because you you know we were encouraged to kind of think that way and then to come to a show with a little bit longer of a timeline, creative timeline, you're like, oh, we gotta, we gotta, <laughs> gotta kind of unthink that way. <laughs> you can't right. think of, you can't. Uh, you know, I found that multi-camera and multi-camera and sitcoms in general, reference humor in general doesn't tend to age well. It can, it can age wonderfully, and but you know, you look back at a Murphy Brown and they're making Dan Quayle jokes, you're like, oh, I don't even. <laughs> I can't put on a Murphy Brown right now and really super enjoy it because right. it's so much about, you know, some uh, super specific political reference, which they were making, um, uh, they were making their, you know, their bones with. So, uh, but now it's, it's, now you got to be a little bit less, you know, oh, okay, cool. We can't, you know, you can't just go on TMZ, figure out a joke and go, oh, okay, cool. Let's put it in now. It's not going to work. Right. So, um, but, uh, yeah, it's been a real weird adjustment to go from something that was you were in a you were just in an absolute can and going as fast as possible to oh back to normal it's fun. Right. So and, and Dan Quayle 
jokes might not be uh, might not age well, but like man hands will always be funny. Yes, <laughs> right. Of so, course. Yeah. Yes, man. See, they, they, there's something. Those guys are always like the. That's like with Seinfeld. It's like there's something about like these. You know, there's something about that show that somehow they just are outside of the matrix in a way. They're just mm-hmm. we go back and everyone references it like crazy. Uh, you're like, oh god, this, that, and the other. It's like. Um, they're incredibly, uh, their references were just, I don't know, they just were so, it, that show was so specific and so wonderfully thought out. It was like, uh, they kind of, they kind of break the, the, the uh, paradigm every single time. You go, well, right. Seinfeld did that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally true. It's totally true. Um, now, going from a scripted show that was taped, like undateable, to a live show like undateable back to a taped show. What kind of things did you learn shooting undateable live after shooting it? You know, again, taped scripted. What yeah. sort of things did you learn that you can kind of take away that's still usable other than, you know, timely jokes or not necessarily, you know? Yeah. Right. Uh, well, you know, there's a, I mean, it's, a, there's tons. I was just off the top of my head. I mm-hmm. think one of the things was, is that it's, you know, the process of, um, I mean, like, like, okay, like, like our, like, I'll just say like, hopefully this gives a good example, but on, on great indoors right now, we are shooting 43 or 40, 44 page shooting scripts, you know, and these uh-huh. are our first episodes. So they're a little longer on the longer side, but just because there's so much extra, you have to kind of repilot and explain to the audience the first few times, they always call it repiloting. Right. So you're putting a lot of language in there that you don't normally will need. Like two broke girls isn't, saying here after five years they don't say hey well you know we're two broke girls living in the city and want to make cupcakes and we're now in a diner and we're broke you don't have to say that over and over again um you know where where our show you have to kind of say well you know uh explain where joel's character is doing there so if people find it in the first three weeks right finding the show they they go oh i know what's going on not that it has to be you know sometimes i feel like our you know the our, the network and the studio might be a little more precious with wanting that kind of language in there, a little maybe over, over, a little over the top. But so you shoot it and then you see if you need it when you get into editing and stuff like that. But one of the biggest things was with Undateable was is that we would shoot things. Okay, so we would shoot we would shoot 38, I think, 35 page scripts, really, which is really short for multi camera. We were still 12 minutes long after tape nights because of guys like Chris D'Elia and Brent Morin and. Ron Funches would improvise and it would just, we would get rolling laughs and you had to kind of use it. So um, we were very Spartan with our scripts there. Like we just knew what was going to be, what would you need and what didn't you need? So then when we went from that, we went to 21 page scripts for the, for the uh, live shows. So what was crazy is our script, and these are multi-camera scripts, which are double spaced and, and all that stuff. So we were 21 page scripts to 25, 23, 24, 25 page scripts which a multicam page with the double space is supposed to represent about 30 seconds of TV time. Yeah. So you figure, okay, cool. So that's, you know, you just, and, and the thing was, is that you could shoot long knowing that you could edit and pull things out and do things later when you don't, when it went from being a scripted show where we had editing to, Hey, it's live. You don't edit, you edit in the commercial breaks. Oh. The, 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 the process of the way you told the story was incredibly just monstrously lean like you would go what do you absolutely need what do you need for the story to make sense um and go from there so what would happen is is that when we were doing undateable live you would do you know you'd have they made us do four acts which that's the way nbc's commercial structure and everything was which is a little antithetical to you know the way you kind of normally structure things so we would do four acts and then there would be commercial breaks in there in the commercial breaks, you knew you had three minutes or so. So you'd go, okay, cool. Um, Chris Talia went a little long there, and we would have um, they would have run the time over and over and over again through rehearsal, and would get a good average. So what would happen is, is that above our monitor, where you know, like, so usually in a, a multi-camera sitcom, you have four cameras. You'll see a thing called a quad split, and it's a monitor that shows what all four cameras are seeing, and that's then, and then you'd have your time above it with 
undateable live because we couldn't move cameras. Like if you were shooting four in a bar scene and you had to move over to a living room scene, you couldn't, you didn't have time to move the, the, you can't move the cameras. So you had to have another set of four over there. So we had nine cameras altogether. You had four that would be set up in, so you could switch from the four in the bar to the four in the living room. And then we had a steady, the ninth was a steady cam that we would pick up because we were doing live music. So mm-hmm. we would have like Weezer or Megan Trainer or someone who would sing we would kind of go to that when the steady cam would grab that so it felt live kind of the way that it does on SNL. So when you're com- when you're constructing the scripts, you're like, okay, this thing is timing out at 21 minutes. We needed to time out at 22 minutes, but we know it'll go long. So after the first act, when you're in the first commercial break, you're going, okay, cool. We actually had an accurate time that on average we're over by a minute. So you're like, oh shit, where are we going to pick up a minute? So then you go ahead in the script in the next three acts, and you go, what don't you need? Absolutely. Like, what jokes do we have to cut? Oh, my God. So on and so on. So then it would go. You'd make that adjustment. You'd go into the next scene. There'd be cuts. The actors, you'd tell at the break, like, hey, you're, you're going from this person's line from, you know, these lines. You're going from here to here. And they change the blocking. So if someone was entering on someone's line that was now cut, you had to adjust that. So you had all this crazy stuff going on. And then you had to tell the camera and sound guys so they knew where they were pointing the cameras so and then you had a switcher that was making sure it was going out live and that he was on the right camera so it's just production wise was absolutely that shit so my head is spinning just listening to this oh it was crazy so and the watch bill bill it's like doing a two-minute drill it's like you're going down two-minute drill so then what would happen is we'd get through the second act you go to the commercial break and we'd see all right we picked up 30 seconds we're still 30 over okay cool let's go into the fourth act here and see what we can kind of strike out and what's in the third act here and then you know you had to go okay cool we could we padded 30 seconds extra for a musical guest but maybe we can kind of put that in credits and so you made those adjustments on the fly and that was bill and adam and then me kind of you know as their support helping that going but on a traditional multi-camera as you go between scenes you pitch jokes you go over and say hey does anyone have alts for you know other punchlines for this one joke right we got it one way let's go back anyone have another punchline we could do so we have options you don't do that it's it starts at eight and it's done at eight twenty-five, and you're done well not only that i mean it's so crazy that in terms of live television like whether it's uh you know jimmy fallon or or right. snl or something when things run long you don't you don't get to edit necessarily because it's going out. I mean, you do edit to some right. degree because it's taped right. the day before. I mean, that day right. earlier in the day. Yeah. But you can you can bump a guest, which you know I don't know if they do that as much anymore. But you can bump a guest yeah. or in SNL you, you cut a skit can. at the end. But with with a scripted show that has four acts, you can't just say okay, we're just going to dump the fourth act because we're running long in the other three acts because then you right. don't have an ending to your show. So yes, that's that was totally. It's like. Yeah, so what we would do is we would, before, on Friday mornings, we would be pretty much locked, minus a couple jokes we might add, like, that were topical. Like, so, all right, Thursday night, this happened, or, you know, like right now, Ryan Lochte's Lochte's swim scandal, we want to make a joke about that. That would be added Friday, and we would find the place for it, and, you know, we'd go down to the floor while they're rehearsing. Um, So you'd go, and and then... uh, um, we'd make those adjustments, but what we'd do is go through the script ahead of time, and we would circle. We called them accordion cuts. We circled areas, pre-circled and marked them. So you go through the script and go, all right, this section is what we could cut here if we had to. If we're running long, this is a section we could cut. So we would go usually in the later acts, so third and fourth acts. You'd go through and you'd say, all right, cool, right here, Danny, uh, Chris D'Elia's character has to say this. Then you do a sidebar. So let's say if he was saying, this is the way a traditional, like, sitcom works is like someone sets a joke premise like hey man uh you know um uh i missed my flight that's the pipe you need and then five people might get jokes on missing oh i missed a flight once it was la 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 ha 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 yeah my flight ha 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 and they laugh and then you get back in well what are we going to do now because i missed my flight i got to get to detroit you know what Mm -hmm. you do is you'd circle those that little side road jokes You'd circle those knowing that you didn't need those for the story to make sense. You just needed to know that he missed his flight and what are you going to do about it? Like that's the A side and the B side. And the other parts were jokes to get people on the board, other characters and actors, get them jokes if we had time. So you'd pre-mark those ahead of time and know that we would, and we would number the cuts. So like, hey, we're taking cut four and cut seven. Um, And you'd call it out. So the guys knew, and then you'd tell the actors and they would know, you know, which they were such troopers. Like, you know, they, they knew exactly 
they were they had to be on their feet so fast because you had to be able to go all right cool you are now going from this blocking where you enter from this place you got to get over here faster because that line is now cut and that covered your cross mm-hmm. so you were crossing from a back room to the bar you have to get there faster <laughs> because right. your line is coming up sooner you can't you don't have that joke that while you're walking you go blah 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 and everyone laughs that covers your cross over behind the bar so Hopefully that all makes sense, but, um, no, but it was it was it was it was madness because you're trying to make a a, a a story work. You were also trying to make the time work, right. and then also make sure that you weren't cutting jokes so much that you were, um, you know, sacrificing the fact that it's a sitcom. So it was a madness. But then when you're done, you're <laughs> like, I'm done. That's it. All right, cool. Right. We got a couple hours, and then we're going back to do it again. <laughs> right. Um. Uh. We're going to do it again for the East Coast, and that'll be that. And um, and then you're oh, done. Yeah, I forgot right? about that. You did it twice a night. Yeah, we do it twice. So there would be wow. eight o'clock East coast. Um, uh, we would eight o'clock East coast. So we would do it, um, for, for yeah, East coast. And then what we would do is we change if some jokes didn't work or we had some ones we wanted to do, the alts would be kind of, you know, Oh, this, let's try this punchline for the West coast. And then on Hulu or one of the other, you know, mostly Hulu, we would, you'd be able to go in certain hardcore fans, which, you know, um, obviously there weren't a ton of them or we'd still be on the air, but, um, they would go and watch the two versions and then see the difference that we did or what Chris did that was screwier or what Brent did or Whitney Cummings did. And, and, um, it was, uh, it was, it was really, uh, really wild. So you do that, but you, so you go eight to eight thirty, and then there'd be like two and a half hours. Well, we had a live, we had an open bar on the set too, because right. they wanted it to be like for the, for people to hang out and there would be periscopes and all these things going on. So, people were drinking in between them, you know, writers are drinking and, and studio people are drinking and network people are, are having a couple cocktails. And then, you know, the actor would come in and pop one. And then, so it got, but the difference between the East coast and the West coast was really funny because the West coast tended to be sloppier and always long. <laughs> and, uh, and the East coast was more, was tighter, but not as, maybe not as fun sometimes. Right. Like it was like, Oh, it felt like a sitcom that was a little more rehearsed because right. they were scared. Then they were like, Oh, we did it once. Then right. the second one was the looser show in the same way that like a stand-up will do, hey, I'm doing an 8 o'clock show and a 10 o'clock show. The 8 o'clock show might be tighter and then the 10 o'clock show is looser. It was yeah. very much uh, representative of that type of vibe uh, for the shows that we did. So um, uh, it, was, uh, it was a trip. So to go from that to back to, all right, it's tape night and what makes sense and we can do network notes in between scenes and we could do alts. It was like, oh, I got to slow my RPMs. I got to get back down to, look, it's not about speed at this point. It's about like, okay, what's the best, best, po-? not that we weren't doing speed and the best possible thing. It's just that in two and a half minutes and, and all the craziness you had to do, I wonder sometimes if we did the things that were the easiest because of just time more so than the things that were maybe more thoughtful at certain times. But, um, but I think we did pretty well yeah. for, <laughs> we did, and that was all bill and Adam. And, uh, but, um, uh, yeah, dude, it's crazy. And then to go to a, um, then to go to a, uh, a, a, a scripted show that is very, um, very much, uh, very much like in the traditional style. We are, our director is Andy Ackerman, who's you know, legend and did yeah, all yeah. did a lot of Seinfeld and stuff like that. So it's like what you're seeing and Andy's, you know, it's, and then Joel's done a million things. Christmas Plast has been at a million things and, and then Steven comes in and then our, our newer actors are, are really, really great. Um, it's just, a, it's a trip to kind of walk in. You don't feel like you have to put his hands on because, uh, uh, because of the chaos. So, um, oh, yeah, uh, that's a long answer, but <laughs> no, tell me, do you ever make comments to Mike? You know, on Undateable, we had an open bar. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's, there's definitely, um, there's definitely. I think in the latter half, it'll probably happen more as our things go, where people come around and you can see they got a cup, and you're like, oh, I'm sure that's not coffee, and so they might have <laughs> taken it from a certain place, but it wasn't as it is in your face and open as uh, Undateable was. But we would say, yeah, yeah. I find myself doing that a lot, and I feel kind of like an idiot or an ass, like being the guy that goes, "Oh, in my last job, we did this." It's there's oh, nothing like what happened on the bar specifically. <laughs> oh yes, yes, yes. That that specifically would be that would be uh, that would I think that would be um, that might be a disaster. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? It, but it's uh, yeah. Was was that uh, 
uh, Bill's real reason for for wanting to go live, just so that you could have that open bar? Oh God! Sometimes I think he thought that way. I could tell when the show was going well, or he liked it because um, the tequila came out, and he loved right. that. That's his—he's a tequila man, so he would have—he uh, would have his uh, his tequila, and he'd be like, "All right, cool." Then we know it, one of two things: it's going very well, or it's like, "Hey, screw it, who cares?" <laughs> <laughs> I think it was one of those of like, "Yeah, these guys are just assholes. They act wild and go crazy. Just People just like it, it or they don't. Who cares?" We're not doing Archie Bunker here. Let's just yeah. get the bar show with guys that act like centaurs and sing <laughs> songs. What are we doing? Yeah. End of the day, nice. what are we doing with our lives? So, um, but uh, yeah. So, but he, but but uh, people definitely enjoyed the open bar. Um, yeah. Maybe some people too much. I will <laughs> talk about that. Those were some of the writers who, after the last show, um, tied it on. Maybe a little younger folks who tied it on a little, little much, and we're feeling it on Monday <laughs> still. So. Um, you know, but that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, and speaking of drinking heavily and regretting the decision, and speaking of Ryan Lochte, who you mentioned earlier, how much <laughs> do you regret not having a live show now? Not being I, do timely jokes now. Oh my God, I know it's crazy because you you really feel like, um, yeah, dude, that's so true. Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, I mean, there's so much now. I think especially with an election cycle, you know, I think you know, like we were talking earlier, I think things are, and you have the Olympics, and you have. Uh, yeah. Um, there's just so much, it just seems like there's so much, uh, kind of like juicy news right now that, th- that are things that where you, 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 it feels even maybe more so that you want to have that immediate kind of microphone to be able to take a dig at something. But, uh, uh, but yeah, man, sometimes you're like, ah, oh, it'd be so much easier to do <laughs> that kind of a joke than, than the kind that, you know, <laughs> and then some of the ones that were like, oh, it's so many levels of joke, oh, my head. <laughs> callbacks and I, I don't think that I don't think that far ahead but um yeah <laughs> you get a lot of periscopes I know in the writer's room uh of Indatable are you guys are you doing that now I haven't logged into my periscope and forever. you got no um uh no that they they uh they're they, well they I think well with it's a little bit different between well for Bill Bill uh Lawrence always kind of even with back to scrubs and even early Cougar Town stuff he always took kind of the promotion of his shows very – he was very hands-on with them. Um, you know, you have – in that case, NBC has a very big, you know, digital apartment, all that other stuff that they're doing, you know, that, that promotes and stuff, where we were writing our own promos. We were – I was directing them and, and, and bringing them in and, and supervising promos, which that – you don't normally have the writers that involved with promos, but I was doing a lot of that. I was like one of my big jobs there. Right. Was doing that stuff, and I was also doing the, hosting like the writers room Periscope every day at like 4:30, and kind of in charge of if we wanted Ron Funches to do a video game Periscope or to do a um, uh, you know to post and do an AMA type thing on Instagram or whatever, I was kind of the one that had to do that. That was pretty much from Bill. Bill was very much um, I think his experience of having a hands-on in that and controlling the way your show gets out there is very much something that he's uh, um, he's real into. So he's so in that case, I was kind of like, hey, go do periscopes and blah blah blah. Um, I was a big part of our show. It was also kind of in the in the by virtue of it being a live show, we wanted to make sure that it felt very interactive. So if someone in Undateable like Rick Glassman, who maybe light in a scene but he's in it, would be on Periscope the whole time, so you could actually be watching your TV and then watching Rick's Periscope <laughs> on your right. phone of the exact same scene and seeing the studio audience. So. We wanted to make it that weird and that kind of chaotic in a way. So the actors were periscoping during that. We Another thing we did on that show was um, in the first episode of that season, we, we, got a, we, we had a dummy um, phone line made. So they went to like T-Mobile or something and they, right. got a, they got a cell phone and it was Danny Burton, the character Chris D'Elia plays. It was his cell phone and we'd give it out all the time. It'd be written on like a chalkboard. And that phone, that was something that Bill did at Scrubs back in the 2000, early 2000s, where he gave, they gave out a phone number and had a, a phone that was they put on mute, and then you could just pick it up at any time. It was ringing pretty much 24-7 all the time. People just, <laughs> stoners, like, calling, uh, and then you, Jack Braff would pick up the phone or John McGinley or something, and it would knock their fucking heads off. They didn't right. think it was real. They thought it was... So we did that in the show, so writers and actors and whatever. So there's times where Chris gets phone calls in the show, and one of them was my brother who called from the I remember Pacific that, Northwest, yeah. and he called, and Chris is like, what are you talking about? Like, you could see real genuine confusion. <laughs> the people, people were, 
yeah, so people would call and that was live, that was in the show, so we were doing that. So that was very much, the point is that that was very much a part of that experience and that what that show was designed to be, very interactive with social media and very interactive with, um, with the fans and so on and so on. The Great Indoors, the show that I'm currently on, that's not necessarily something that we're the writers are a part of in this case. I mean, CBS obviously is the number one network and has tons of success with their sitcoms, so I think that their their digital interactive departments are very much they're very much know what they do and we take their lead from it. So it's not something that I mean, people will Snapchat, like the writers will Snapchat from there and will do things, but it's not like something that's like as sanctioned as it was on Undateable, where it was like, hey, this is what we're doing, and there's Bill Lawrence, and there's a creator, and they're, hey, we're going to sit with Brett Moore today or Ron Funches. It was like, this is very much like kind of everybody doing it on their own. It's not as organized uh, per, through the show. It's more like through the publicity department and the digital department of CBS. So we haven't done that kind of stuff, and I laid off it. I, I don't necessarily need to be on camera a million times so <laughs> i was like after doing that every day at 4 30 i was a little tired of like oh same 28 people are on here and it's wonderful to talk to them but like right. I, I you know uh this 45 minutes to an hour is like taking away from a script that we got to get done that'll keep from us here all night job, so right? yeah so it was like oh god we're promoting the show but people were very into it and love it and and miss that i still get tweets and shit about people saying when are you going to do a periscope i'm like for what four people like no one's watching the show anymore yeah it's not even out yet oh you mean yeah maybe i'll do one for great indoors and it'll be a thing and just to try to you know maybe try to get people who watched undateable to you know in in a sense of just like hey this is what we're doing right um but i mean but uh yeah isn't the great indoors i mean a part of your whole deal is that whole social networking uh, you know, new media aspect of entertainment. So you're right. And it, tell and, and CBS think, to get on the ball, do some stuff like Periscope. Learn, well, learn I think from that, Craig Doyle. I, <laughs> I, know, right? I think that they've been very, uh, the digital department at, at CBS, been, I've been impressed with them because I was, NBC was going through like kind of a transition and there were some of the, some of the departments were getting a little smaller and there were like some, some stuff in there. So it was less, they were less, um, they were incredibly helpful and they knew, I think that they were so used to being kind of pushed back by the creators, not to, to then to have someone like Bill Lawrence and Adam Stichio who were like, who were deputizing them to do more. And they're like, oh, cool. So they got very into it. Um, but I think that uh, in this case, I think that the, um, uh, you know, CBS publicity has their, their kind of way and their marketing rollout, their their stuff. They, they, they haven't shown a... Um, a big desire, they, at least yet, they haven't shown, like, maybe it will as it gets closer to air date, but there they hasn't right. been a, a big uh, a big push for us to kind of get out there and activate our our base, so to speak. So, But um, uh, we'll see. Maybe it will. Yeah. Well, I know Joel has a huge following, obviously. From community oh, yeah. And so does, so. you know, Stephen Fry and Christmas Splash. Yeah. They, all three of them have huge social media followings and, and, and uh, are very, you know, very active on that, Stephen Fry, especially. Um, so I'm sure that they will kind of ramp up as it goes. But right now, the, the promotions has been mostly like you know football ads and things like that that are going on in, within the network, and they'll do some stuff. But uh, yeah, the promotion has been really impressive. The stuff that I've seen has been really cool. So we'll see how it goes. But who knows? You might see me back on Periscope acting like a jerk off sooner <laughs> rather than later. You well, never God, know. I hope so. they, Thanks. Well, you mentioned on Indatable that you had a large staff and it was Mm -hmm. a lot of of younger writers because that's sort of what Bill liked, having more voices in the room. Um, What's the staff on Great Indoors like? Do you have, is it top heavy or do you have, is it a very large? It's big. It's bigger. It's on the bigger side. Mm -hmm. There's, um, it's, uh, there's, it's bigger, but there's probably it's a little bit of a mix between there's some upper levels and some consultants, and then there's some uh, story editor, staff writer uh, positions like that. A lot of teams, so there's um, ah. uh, there's a lot of teams, so that kind of you know they, they count as one entity, but there's yeah. you know there's two heads in the room. Sure. So, um, but right now I think it's, oh man, there's like 13 or 14 of us. It's, it's a little less than undateable, but still a big room, um, which is great because you know with uh, and a lot of them are kind of in that millennial category one of our uh a couple i think god i think four or five of our writers are um 
in that that are technically millennial per the you know cutoff date or whatever it is, nineteen eighty two or eighty three. I don't know what it is. So I think it's like eighty two or eighty three, some arbitrary number that means you're that. And uh, they you know so they give like in, insight into stuff that you know fogies like me like I'm like oh is, is FOMO still a thing or is it now JOMO or what? you know like, I'm like what huh. You know, I get whatever my daughter has on her Snapchat. I'm like, okay, I kind of figure it out. So it's great. So those those details and things that are maybe more specific to the the voice we're trying to capture from that polemic in the in the show, um, those 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 guys have a great that's a great resource to be able to go go. Hey, this type of type thing is story. This type of story we're trying to tell. What would be your take on this? And they go, well, I would be this way. And you're like, perfect. <laughs> that's awesome. So. <laughs> Um, you know, um, that joke basically but, writes itself. Yes. Yes. The joke is now you, <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's really, uh, it's been, it's, 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 a, it's on the bigger side. Um, but it's, uh, um, maybe a little bit more on the middle than the, than more, more towards like kind of middle level, mm-hmm. uh, volume than the staff writer and lower level volume that we had on undateable. That's just how this one's kind of played out. Um, but there's more. There's more upper level. So there's me and there's Austin Earl and Liz Feldman are co-EPs with uh, under uh, Mike and and Chris, and then Tad Quill is a consultant who Tad's done been around for done a million. I mean, just one of the funniest, nicest, greatest dudes ever, and who every year seems to get a pilot made and in a show in the air and just lovely guy. So he comes in for a couple of days a week and just it's just having him as like a big hammer to come in when we're a little we're a little. Uh, maybe foggy on something, it's great to have a guy like him who's a vet to swing in and just go, yeah, and ID things that either we're not seeing or things that are already there. And then uh, a lot of uh, folks who are, uh, you know, kind of uh, producers, uh, executive story editors, story editors, staff writers, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really cool, diverse, like, you know, multi-background staff with a really, really funny people. And the drafts have come in so well. Like all the writers' drafts have been so funny, so it's so great. Like sometimes you never know because so it's hard writing a new show. And it, it doesn't yeah. have to be the. I've done a bunch of them now. It's like you you go on and you're trying to find the voice of the show, and um, you might be a great writer and really funny, but you got an episode that's tougher and it has things that are it, it, the needle's a lot smaller to thread. Right. And so sometimes it's hard. You come back with a writers' draft and you're like. Oh, it's got a lot of. There's a lot of stuff that we're seeing now that we got to do, and blah blah blah. And it's just that hasn't been the case. It's been very like everybody's been really really impressive. So uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. It's been very uh, very cool. Like when really you started writing for the show, had mm-hmm. you what had you seen? Had you watched the pilot? I mean, obviously after you've been hired, but like when you actually started work on uh-huh. breaking down an episode or writing an episode, whatever came first. What sort of info? What had you seen other than reading the pilot and and whatever else material has been there? Did you actually get to see the pilot before you started writing? So you un, sort of kind of grasped what they were going for. What they because obviously writing a script is different than seeing Joel McHale playing the character and you yeah, know, sure, you know the nuances and things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, I I helped on the pilot when they were making it. Okay, I've known Chris Harris and Mike for a long time, Chris mm-hmm. and I have the same age. And so like, we've always tried to find something to work on together. Oh, cool. And so I knew him. So I came in and I helped at a table read and I saw them all read and you go, Oh, that person hits that person is, you know, that, that the jokes for those person aren't specific enough yet and they will get there. So I was there earlier on. And then okay. just cause they're friends, I was able to kind of get a glean a little bit of it, but then CBS, like once it kind of got, they shot it and it got locked down. Um, they were very, uh, you know, a lot of the networks, they're so now, especially with like pirating and stuff yeah. getting out, they don't want any kind of leak. So they don't even get like, e- even if Mike or Chris wanted to show me early before they really? picked up the show, they couldn't. They didn't even have copies of it. Wow. So it was like, it was, they're that locked down um, on that stuff. So, um, so I got on the show and then I had seen the, I saw the pilot. Uh, uh, I was able to get an early thing of it, um, you know, uh, after it was ordered. And then, um, you know, I've seen it several times since then. And then, uh, yeah, so I knew kind of that. I, I mean, I had a little bit of a jump start on that. I, you know, I never worked with Joel before, but I, you know, in, in pre-production of the pilot, I was able to, you know, do a couple days and help out and then, you know, see what those guys were doing. And, um, 
you know, work with Joel a little bit and see. And then also what's been great is there's two guys that are that uh, Brad Stevens and Boyd Vico, who are guys who work has worked with Joel since way back on Talk Soup days, who are kind of uh, are who are unbelievably funny dudes, just such funny guys and great writers. They came, so they're on the show as well. And so they really know Joel's point of view and kind of his, his, maybe his bugaboos as far as types of jokes that he's just not into or these things. So having those guys be kind of, uh, you know, being able to kind of reference them and say, Hey guys, we're thinking of this story for Joel. It's a little silly. Is this going to be in his voice? And he's there be like, yeah, he would like that, but maybe not that, or yeah, that's not going to work or he might, you never know. And so it's been, they've been invaluable that way. Like, um, and, and they're just like machines they are so funny. So those guys have been unbelievable. So, you know, having this show is built around Joel McHale. Um, so having that, having that line to him and his sensibility so clearly uh, defined and knowing that through having those, you know, people around him and uh, it's been incredibly helpful because you're not, you know, whereas other shows you might be like, I don't know, maybe Kevin James has this kind of voice. Maybe he does it. You're trying to find it a little more right? Um, on that stuff. It's like having uh, those guys specifically to be able to kind of give us a head start onto Joel's sensibilities and what he can pull, like what he can, what he can sell. Like sometimes Joel's a little less into the lesson of the week stuff and just being funny, which I think we all are. But you know, that's like a network and studio. A lot of times they're very mm. into the heart of the episode, and Joel's kind of maybe bristles at that a little bit, having been on Community forever, and sure. that's not what they did. So you know, he's got a different sensibility, and you try to make them all kind of collate and make sense and and work. And uh, so. Um, uh, yeah, but but I had seen that stuff, so I had uh, been able to. And you know what's great as a testament to Chris and Mike is they let us kind of, as a group, find stories that, and they were incredibly uh, specific. Like when we would get onto a story, hey, we're thinking about this area. Chris was very clear, and Mike was very clear about like what they liked about it. So then you can go, okay, cool, let's lean into that side of it a little more than this side as you're kind of drilling down on it. So I think that these first uh, group of episodes are a lot closer to the show than maybe other shows are at this stage. So um, it's been, you know, uh, it's, it all kind of stems from the top, the clarity and the specificity and, the, and people making decisions from the top, you know, it all kind of cascades down through the rest of the uh, staff. Yeah. And what was the time frame like or when you left Undateable to Undateable uh, not getting picked up to you ending up on the great indoors what was that time frame like because i guess when you once your undateable is not getting picked up it goes from being hiatus to being unemployed technically right yeah yeah it's a it's a it's one of the real i mean i i was i was i was um i i you know just because of the tea leaves of like uh, i had a feeling that if undateable was to come back um the the vibe was and this is out of no information, just pure speculation, was that maybe it wouldn't come back for a full season. It might be 13 or 10 episodes, which right. at that point, you know, in the staffing world, it's like, you know, I get paid at my level, I get paid by the episode. So if you're doing 10 episodes and it takes a year to make 10 episodes, I'm getting paid for the 10. And let's say the staff writer gets paid by the week. I end up making less than a staff writer over the whole period of time. So sometimes what you have to do is kind of go, all right, well, if that's the case, I got to kind of have options. And I, and I helped on a lot of pilots this year, which a lot of writers do. Um, so I had, I had some, I, 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 I had some potential options if it wasn't going to come back. And obviously it was my priority. So when it kind of, we ended on January 29th, I think it was our last show, you know, I'm on it. I'm technically unemployed because you don't know. And it's, and you didn't know until they won't tell you to the very, very last minute. Cause they've got to hold on to actors options. Right. And they have to, there's a lot of like legal stuff that they have to do. And so um, they will wait, the networks and the powers that be will wait to the absolute last second to tell you, um, to tell you. So in the meantime, that doesn't make your life any easier. Actually, you know, it's a little harrowing. You're like, oh, I got to figure this out, figure that. Luckily for me, I was, I have development with uh, Warner Brothers. So I, I owe them a, a TV show to, to do it. So I just kind of, I just kind of went into that mindset while I was waiting Mm -hmm. and kind of got ahead on some some stuff to make for them this year 
So I, I knew I was kind of just switching cha- channels a little bit uh, in my head and kind of going that way and waiting to, you know, waiting to hear what the um, the orders of the shows were. So Undateable went down and uh, and and Great Indoors got picked up and and uh, um, I had helped on it and know those guys and I know there was a lot of this year in the staffing world is economically has been very tough. They've cut budgets and writing budgets and there's a lot more. Um, emphasis on you know finding uh, new voices and diverse voices and things like that. So so um, you know those uh, and there's people on overall deals, so they have to come in. They have to kind of get those people in. So they might want you, but there's no room. So it's almost like right. hey, we already got two third basements. We can't have, pick up another one. So right, right. you know you're still a little. It's a precarious place. You're like I don't know. Maybe I won't get on a show, but um, I did, and I was very lucky. And and uh, um, and so I we started in middle late june so i was out i was basically kind of in the wind for a few months trying to figure you know working on my own stuff but uh but kind of waiting to see what the landscape brought to me and then i could kind of make my decision then but um yeah that's how it's that's the nba man you just get you know yeah show ends you go on to the next one you try to figure it out but um it was uh it was um um and and who knows maybe bill and Jeff Ingold and, and Adam Steak will find a way to move uh, Undateable to another. There was talks of them moving him to another place because Bill's oh. done that a couple times. If that was to go to Netflix or a streaming space or something where it could be, um, it could be that. That was there was talks of that, and I don't. Who knows what the what what ended up happening with that, or if that's still in the works or whatever. But you know, at the same time, um, uh, you know, that's how you you got to do what you got to do. So yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, that that. I, I have to say, I felt like I did working on that show. I it felt like I did ten years on a show in <laughs> that short of time because of all that chaos that I was telling you about. Yeah. Right? Just like my God, it was batshit. You mean just got you? You know, it was like it was all compounded into a really short time period, and you just had to. Everyone had to step up and do your thing. So it was like, oh man, no no rest. Just yeah. get in there. <laughs> um, yeah, it was crazy. Um, can you talk a little bit about helping on pilots and, and what is involved in that in terms of like, obviously you have a lot of, uh, you've been in the business a long time. You know, a lot of other writer producers, you know, a lot of showrunners and, uh, people who write pilots. So it's probably, uh, you know, not out of the realm of you being asked to help out on pilots. Uh, but can you uh-huh. talk about what, what's involved in that from your perspective, Again, as a co-EP on a show that just got canceled and, you know, your friends are all having these pilots and, and, and getting involved in it at that sort of early stage. Right. Well, well, yeah, it's, I think like unlike in a movie in the, in the feature world, you know, if they do a table on something like, um, you know, so so the general timeline is, you know, they uh, people buy stuff. They the network's all in network television specifically I'm talking about here, but they buy, they'll buy a show, an idea pitch in the summer, like right now. Um, you'll write the script and go through notes and blah, 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 and all that stuff. Turn it in in the late fall. They'll make their decision right at the end of the year, first part of the year, usually at the end of January. They make their decisions on what they're going to order to pilot. So let's say they ordered 100 projects between dramas and comedies. NBC did, CBS did, whatever. You get in that mix, you go, and then they there's a culling process. So they let's say out of that hundred scripts, let's say that they and let's just say that they picked up sixty five, let's just say seventy five for a house number, seventy five comedies. Then let's say that what they what they're going to shoot is they're actually going to shoot fifteen of those. Mm. Um, so then sixty scripts got bounced, and um, then so of those fifteen that you get shot that get shot, um, you know they might pick up. I mean, luckily they would be picking up five, six of those to to some kind of a thing. So there's a calling process down each each side of it. So what happens is a lot of these people, you know, if you're in an overall deal at a studio like Warner Brothers or CBS Studios or Universal or ABC Studios or whatever, um, you know, you're kind of uh, you're 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 a um, you're kind of conscripted to that studio. So any of their projects. So. Um, so what'll happen is, let's say that of those, let's say of those 75 scripts or those 15 scripts, I know 10 or 12 of the people that are that are are either were the creators or the pod, meaning that they were the producers, like Mark Gordon's company or, um, uh, you know, Rough House with Danny McBride or something like that, that kind of a thing. So you either reach out or you're reached out to. If you read the scripts, your agents will send you all the scripts that got ordered. 
or the ones that are in play and you go, okay, cool. I like these ones. Uh, Oh, I know this person. I know that person. And then, um, you know, your friends might ask you, uh, Hey, will you come to one of the table reads just for jokes? And, uh, so, so like for the great indoors, I went to a, to one of the table reads and, um, you know, there was me and a bunch of other writers that I'd known just from other shows. Um, one guy was on modern family another woman's on, uh, life in pieces there was me, and then another guy was on uh, another, you know, uh, another show, and four of us we go and watch the stu- the thing and come back. They have to do a rewrite of that based on the notes from the table read, and so you're there, and you're almost like a little de facto staff, and you help these people, you help the creators kind of navigate the notes that they got, and and maybe pitch jokes and help them kind of deal with that stage of the process. So, um, so you know, and and it's a favor. You're not getting paid to do it. Right. Um, so, for instance, Superior Donuts I helped with, which was a project at CBS that they're redoing now. And it's uh, um, uh, Bob Daly and Neil Goldman and Garrett Donovan. I know Neil and Garrett from through Bill. And they, they I went and helped them on a network run-through. So we did the network run-through, and we, they got notes. We went back to their offices they work on, um, and we went back to their offices, and it was me and some other people that had worked with Bill or Bob on uh, Frasier and some other people that were on other shows, one woman from Veep. And we all kind of got together, and they said what their notes were, and we helped them kind of figure out a plan of attack, and we pitched jokes, and sometimes we wrote some of the scenes, rewrote some of the scenes with them. And um, uh, so... Uh, yeah, so then, so, so, and you know, you do one day on it that night, or they might say, hey, will you mind coming back to tape night, or do you mind coming back for this, or can we send you a page with jokes, and, and you maybe pitch on some jokes, and you just help out, and it's all volunteer, you do it, but the kind of, uh, the unspoken kind of thing is that you're kind of pitching yourself for their show if they end up getting on the air and, and, and staffing, so mm-hmm. sometimes you're paired, like, how I originally met Chris Harris was he did a show called uh, Goodwin Games while he was working on How I Met Your Mother uh, at Fox. And I have the same agent as him, and he was looking for people to help, and I went to a run through, or a table read. So I helped on that table read, and I met Chris that way. And I helped on that show, and we were uh, – they um, uh, he ended up doing a – that was a mid-season show, so he had a smaller staff, and, and I didn't, I was on something else at the time. And uh, so we didn't get to work to each other, but we met each other then. And I helped because our agents were friends or, or were with the same agent. So, um, yeah, so you kind of do that and you help along the way. And sometimes you go, they might ask you to come to tape night. And so at a tape night for a pilot in, you know, in the spring, uh, you could be there with a bunch of writers like that are already on five different shows and you're there and they're all, you're on the floor to them to help your friends, or your colleagues in this case, like Chris and Mike on Great Indoors, help them as they get through this tape night. So you do that, and then what happens is that, like, you know, hopefully you've shown someone, like when I work with Chris on Goodwin Games, I we clicked there and had the same sensibility that the two of us, every time something came up, we were always trying to figure out a way to work together because mm-hmm. we liked each other based on that. So, um, you know, then here, take five, six years later, we're working on a sitcom together. So it's very much like kind of a, you know, um, uh, a volunteer kind of thing with the understanding that you're kind of showing this person that you may or may not know why you'd be someone they would want to hire if the show gets on the air. Right. And, you know, and, and as I was saying, in features, it's not that way. You get paid for that. So, like, they, they're going to do a table thing. You come in, they'll come in, you get paid, and it's you and a bunch of people that wrote on movies. Genuinely, it's not just – they don't just give you lunch and some pizza and, <laughs> and you know, maybe send you maybe send you an iTunes gift card at the end of it. That right. one you're getting mostly features a little more, you know, a little more formal and it's it's jurisdictionally kind of writers guild in a certain way and they kinda make sure you get paid a certain right. amount. Though I've helped on those without getting getting paid features as well. But on uh on network T V it's kind of a um it's a little bit of a uh a foregone thing that you just you're kinda helping on a volunteer basis to help. And uh, you know, it's uh it makes uh makes things um it just it just to help get get stuff over the top and the idea that uh, maybe it gets uh gets on the air so um yeah it's so that's kind of the basics of it so you you go there and it's tough because you uh, 
you go into the show and you don't know in pilot, as a pilot's going, you don't know what notes they've already heard. You don't know what kind of, as they've gone through the script process in the fall, like what kind of things they've gone back and forth. So you don't want to go in and pitch brand new stuff that throws, you're trying to help them sure. with what they're doing. You're helping them with their show. You're not helping them with your show. Right. So you got to be very like, kind of a listener and figure out what they're saying. Sometimes you've, I've helped on ones where I'm like, wow, this is a broader show. It's not necessarily my sensibility, but I have to kind of pitch in that spectrum because that's what this show is. That's the tone of this show. Mm-hmm. So you got to kind of help them that way. Or you go, wow, this is more of a scripted, clever kind of, uh, you know, uh, the jokes are very single camera this way. Then you have to kind of think in that term. So, you know, it's it's like it's like being a, being a utility player and figuring out what the team needs at that point and kind of hopefully giving them a version of that. So the, the treachery is going in there and going, ah, I'm being waka, waka, waka. And you're not, <laughs> you, you're like, Hey, calm down. They're going to tell us what they need because they've been through this process a lot more than us. Right. And you might be pitching stuff. that's obvious. It doesn't even make sense. And you're just taking up time now. So it's a, it's a, it's a different world. Right. Um, so, and it's a skill set in and of itself, you know? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, being able to kind of see the double dutch and figure out where you fit in as opposed to like just imposing your will on it. That's not what they need at that point. They need, they need help with what they've heard and what they want to do about it. So um, it's very, uh, uh, some people get it. Some people have a skill for it. Some people just don't. So, um, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the basic of it. I think hopefully that's, uh, yeah, that's, no, that's gives a good sense of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's how, uh, that's how it's been for me. um well we are as usual running short on time we could probably (laughs) a lot of other stuff we could cover um but i know it's it's sunday and i appreciate you giving your time up on sunday to oh no it's my pleasure i saw it it's been uh, i've been trying we've been trying to connect and it's gone me i've been very uh you know a little bit of uh, as we kind of go into this first tape night i've been a little all over the place and totally a little, a little consumed and, uh, and then family, some family stuff that consumed. So I, so I appreciate you being so patient with me and being able to get back on the phone with me. Cause it's, uh, it's always fun talking with you, man. All good. You're welcome. Anytime we, you're, you've been on more than any other. <laughs> I'm the Alec Baldwin of the, and I wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. I'm your Alec Baldwin. Yeah. For SNL, right. I, I, I'll take that. I'll take that. I love that. Awesome, man. Well, dude, I got to get you out to come see a, a show. We're taping Wednesday nights, and um, maybe uh, the first ones here are a little chaotic. But maybe, yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, maybe in the next awesome. few weeks, you come out and uh, see it. You can kind of see, having come to Undateable, you kind of come see how this one this one is, and maybe there's some, uh, meet some other folks. But uh, um, yeah, it'll, it's it's been really fun. No, it sounds awesome. I appreciate it. Um, but, be uh, sure to follow Craig on Twitter. It's at the Craig Doyle, not the so- Irish soccer player Craig Doyle, the, <laughs> Craig Doyle, the writer producer Craig Doyle. Um, and for the latest updates on recently released and upcoming interviews and features, you can follow us on Twitter at Scribes, and you can also find us on Facebook and Google Plus, and of course on the website scriptscribes.com. And uh, thank you all for listening. To keep it cracking like a glow stick I run through reds like my name was Joe McCarthy And everywhere I go I start the party Hardly starving, I'm an MC